0: If you have your bibles you 're welcome to turn to Luke chapter six. if you didn 't uh, bring one that 's all right i 'm actually going to put everything up here so you can follow along that way or have a hard copy whatever is whatever is uh, better for you i 'm really glad to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you 're here here or virtually we 're glad to be together and this morning, I want to teach you a couple of things about uh, what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter six, maybe correct a few misconceptions uh, that at least I've had in the past about what Jesus is saying and try to put us maybe even more firmly on his path. Uh, We've been going through the the book of Luke just looking at these snippets of Jesus' life, trying to reacquaint ourselves with him, his ways, his words, all of those things. And so we're moving into a section now that's uh, very famous. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. It has a corollary, a, a similar passage called the Sermon on the Mount In Matthew, and so that's what we'll be looking at this morning, but it begins with a little bit of story, and that story is actually incredibly important in understanding what Jesus is teaching. So we're going to start there in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, says this, He that is Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. With a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and then along the coast of Tyre and Sidon, so this is kind of a a big, a big swath, a big region, all the way from the coast to Jerusalem. People are flocking to see Jesus. They came near to him, and he healed their disease, diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, this is an incredibly important setup. Just like in Matthew, it's incredibly important that Jesus went up on the mountain as a sign of of Jesus kind of taking on the new Moses, the role of the new Moses. In Luke, he brings them down to a flat plain. Now, don't let this bother you. It's not like there's a contradiction here. Jesus went from place to place and town from town. And do you think he preached a different message every new place he went? No. He preached the same sermon over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. In this situation, he brings them down to the plain. Why does he do this? Because Luke is pressing in on Jesus fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah. And you'll remember that John quotes Isaiah, and he says this about Isaiah in terms of Jesus and Jesus' coming. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Jesus is bringing them down to a flat plane, not because it has better acoustics. In fact, it doesn't. Not because it has better visuals. In fact, it doesn't. Jesus is doing what prophets do. And what prophets do is not just proclaim truth. They enact it in some symbolic or metaphorical way through a dramatic example. And that's what Jesus is doing there. He is bringing them all down to the same place so that we could learn the truth. That here, here there is no Jew or Gentile. Here there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. Here there is no male or female slave or free. But Christ is all and in all, Paul tells us. Jesus is enacting the sign that will run counter to everything about our culture. In fact, everything about every culture. Because every culture finds a way to create mountains and valleys. There are always hierarchies. There are always some that have a lot and some that have a little. We constantly do this to each other. But Jesus says, in Isaiah prophesies, that when the Messiah comes, when God shows up, that way of being in the world will begin to unravel. It will begin to come apart. So we have to take this setting as the context and the the, the dramatic episode that is going to guide everything else that Jesus is about to teach. And he's about to give about five blocks of teaching through this end of Luke 6. I'll give them to you here. First, he kind of is going to talk about a kingdom reset. That's what I'm going to call it. You might have heard it called the Beatitudes. We'll go over those. But, um, but it's kind of a description of how the kingdom of God coming is resetting the world. Next, he'll talk about the way of love. Then he will talk about the way, I'm going to call, of patience. He's going to talk about not judging, not condemning, forgiving, giving, these kinds of things. But I'm going to kind of lump that together with the idea, the positive idea of patience. And then he's going to talk about the fruit of the way, What happens if we decide to lean into this kingdom reset, and we decide to live in the way of love, and we decide to live in the way of patience, what will happen because of it, we will bear much fruit. And finally, he says, if we build our lives on this way, we can have a firm and sure security, both in this life and in the life to come. So these are broad. I'm doing a lot here, right? I recognize this. So I, you need to go home and do some reading on your own, some research on your own. I'm trying to, trying to give you a broad, broad view of this so that through the next week you can take it and, 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 and do some work on your own. So Jesus starts by teaching that the kingdom has come. We've been talking about that. Remember we just read that Jesus was healing all their sicknesses and their diseases and that there are these people who are just trying to come in and touch Jesus, and one of the things I've talked about is the thing that's railed and reeled in my mind for the past year or so, is uh, the fact that uh, I, you know, you saw one of my little monsters come running up here. Um, one thing that we know about the ancient world is that over 50%, well over 50%, probably in the 70 to 80% category of people had intestinal worms because of malnutrition, because of poor hygiene. They had intestinal worms. So if you can imagine my little Esri who just came bolting up, not having the energy to run up those stairs because she is full of intestinal worms. And every time I give her more food, the worms steal the nutrients. So she is constantly both malnourished and, and sickly. And as a parent, or even just as a merciful person, can't you see the pain of that? Jesus is looking around and he is seeing the hurt and brokenness in the world. He is burdened by this to such an extent that he turns and he looks at his disciples and he says this, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He's looking at these people who are hungry, who are hurting, who are broken, who are pushed to the fringes, they're... they're, they're, in need, And he looks at them and he says, you get the kingdom. Now this is contrary to everything we know about the world. This is contrary to everything we experience in the world. Who inherits the earth? Who gets the position of power? Who gets the corner office? Who gets that president spot or that congress spot? Who gets those spots? How does that happen? It happens through this. And Jesus is inverting it. He's calling forward a different kind of world, a world where the valleys are being brought up and the mountains are being brought down. He says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil, as on my account, the account of Jesus, the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, So it was, uh, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now, let me correct something I find to be just maybe slightly off the mark in our reading of this text. As I have read this text in the past, I often took it on me as thinking of it was, we, you've it, it, you heard these things called the Beatitudes before? And sort of the way that I sort of took that as being something like a, a, a way of the way, the things that I'm supposed to adopt in the world. This is how I should be. Uh, but this is not really descripting uh, how we might want to be. I don't know that I've met very many people who want to be poor. I don't know if I've met too many people who really want to have a situation where they're broken and they're mourning. I haven't met a lot of people who really want to be excluded. Most of us don't want to be excluded, we'll do everything to not be excluded. Jesus isn't talking about attitudes that we ought to have. Sometimes we might mistake in this. He is talking about the world as it is. And the world as it is now is that the rich get everything, and the poor get nothing. I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but you get the idea. He's drawing these big extreme visions, these mountains and these valleys, and he's bringing them together to say these things are going to be leveled out. God is going to bring together this. And the same thing is true about this, uh, this rich bit here. There's a lot of people who... Uh, were born wealthy, or who have a a good job. Right? These These are describing what's happening in the world. And Jesus is saying, I am bringing about something new. Something new. So this isn't about judgment. This is about how things will be. It will be very good news if you have very little and the Lord brings you up. And if you have a lot and the Lord brings you low, that will be very painful. Jesus is describing that situation. And then I would say that this is sort of a description of the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is this wonderful message, and we sang about it a bunch, that there is a God who has made us, And that we all are sinners in need of his grace, his mercy, his power, and his transformation. That our brokenness and our sinfulness and our selfishness is so deeply ingrained that it has blinded us to even the pain of people who sit at our gate like Lazarus. And Jesus says, I want to remove that film from your eyes. So I will give you this gospel and I will proclaim a better way. And so what is the better way? It begins with a way of love. He says this, But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is a famous passage. You've probably heard something like this before. And I want to... I want us to try to think about this in maybe a little bit different way this morning. I have always thought of this as, as more like a command, like God is telling me to do something. And I think in many ways, God, Jesus is obviously telling us to do something. But think about this in the way that you think of, of, of wisdom literature, of, of, of proverbs. Because if you think of a proverb, one of, one of the proverbs I've been working on in my own personal life is, a soft answer turns away wrath. Is that true? Generally speaking, if we're, if we're in an argument, my wife and I, we do this frequently. She's not here, so that's good. Somewhere out there. So no amens. But we do this frequently. And when I am smart, I will be kind and humble, and often that will make all things well. But if you have children or we deal with children, you also know that a soft answer cannot always be the right answer either, can it? We have to grab the children. We have to pull them away. We have to say no. We have, you know, the Soft answers are not always true. They're mostly true. And Jesus is giving us, I think, wisdom direction. The, the direction of wisdom is pointing us in the direction of God. My point is that if you take this And make this a new layer of Ten Commandments. I don't live up to this on my best day. Last Sunday, I was trying to leave the church. And Bill comes up to my car to stop me and says, somebody's shown up with a child. They want to talk to the pastor. I lean my head back and go, Bill, they just want money. And Bill's like, oh, because he's a sweet boy, and I'm a bad boy. And I wasn't even, he didn't even think about it. He was like, oh, they probably, no, they just want money. So I get out of the car, and I go, and sure enough, we start talking, and uh, they they want money. (laughs) And I was annoyed. I wanted to go home. I was tired of being shaken down like this. A whole slew of reasons why I didn't love them, but I did not love them. I did not care about them. They were a burden and a problem, so I ignored them, and I walked away. I don't think that means I'm going to hell. I do think that means I didn't walk in the way of love. And I don't know that giving them the cash in my pocket, if I had any, would have been the way of love, because some of you know very well that cash is not always the right answer. But I didn't love them enough to stop and find out what would have been. I didn't walk in the way of love. But the way of love would have directed me toward a different path. It would have directed me toward stopping, toward listening, toward taking them into account. Because, you know, Jesus says, let's think about it like this. Let's let's do some more. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer them the other also. this is a sort of an insult, a degrading insult. Someone spits in your face might be a similar equivalent. What do you do? Do you say, do it again? (laughs) Do not withhold the one who takes your coat from, uh, and from the one who takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt either. Give to the one who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. These are difficult, difficult teachings. These are hard, hard to do. But Jesus says, if you love, if you love only those people that are easy to deal with, what rewards will, will you have? Doesn't everyone love easy people? God loves pains in the butt. If you want to be like God, you have to learn how to let your sun shine on the good and the evil. You need to learn how to let your rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you would be like your father, you have to learn how to love the people that no one else wants to love. Because that's what God did. Because I'm particularly unlovable This leads us next to the way of patience. And that's just my summary word. You know, if you, if you don't like that, you could find another one. But I, I, I want to make an argument that I think patience sum, sums up some of this. But Jesus tells us. He says, judge not, you will not be judged. Again, think of these as Proverbs leading us in the right direction. There are going to be times where we have to make judgment. There's going to be times where we have to say no but it's pushing us in the right direction. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. Think of grain just being poured in in those days. Grain is life. Grain is food. Just being like, like Ruth in the day. And Boaz just pouring into your lap. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Because as you give out, so it will be given Back to you. What a beautiful world this would be if we could make this happen. Imagine a world swallowed up in this vision. Everyone's striving towards. Never doing it perfectly, but striving toward that. Imagine a world where you could not outgive one another. What a beautiful world that would be. You couldn't outforgive one another. You couldn't outgrace one another. You know. One of the reasons why I think we are warned so often not to judge and not to condemn is that we only ever have our perspective, and I do a lot of judging, and I do a lot of condemning, and I have found that as I do that, most of the time I learned that I was wrong, that there was some piece that I I didn't know. In fact, I've had many situations where I've reflected back on something that happened maybe many even years ago, and I think to myself, man, I really didn't do that well. You know, do you ever do you have that happen? I really didn't do that well. I really, I didn't understand what they were saying. I I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And now I do, and I feel kind of bad because I, I judged them more harshly than I should have. I condemned them in a way that I didn't because I just, I don't have all the information, but God does. That's why judgment belongs to him. That's why Paul says, like, listen, leave room for God's vengeance. Leave room for God's judgment. Leave room for God to take care of things because believe me, God will. But you'll mess it up. <laughs> and so leave room for God to do the work. Because he's the one who can do it righteously. This is why Jesus warns us not to focus on the speck that we see in somebody else's eye, but to be worried about our own plank. Jesus tells us, look at yourself. Gaze inwardly. Ask your own questions Search your own heart, find your own pride, find your own sin, find your own errors. Because as you begin to work and heal yourself, that is the only way you could possibly ever heal anyone else. And even in that sense of healing, we're still called to be givers, not judgers, condemners, or correctors. This is why I call it the way of patience. Because this takes great patience. You have to be willing to use that old, old King James word that was used about Job, the long sufferer. You have to be willing to suffer a long time with one another to see one another grow. I have been a Christian, or will have been a Christian this year, for roughly 30 years, and I am so bad at it. I thought I would be better. It takes a hot minute to grow. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of patience. And God has done that in so many ways in every single one of you. And that is proof of his love, of his grace, and his commitment to you now and forever. And he asks us to live that same life, to bear that same cross. Because it bears good fruit, it bears beauty. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of their heart produces evil. For out of your abundance, out of what's here, and here comes out. And if we are walking in the way of love and patience, more goodness will come out. And that's... What God wants because that is attractional. Fundamentally, God is still in the business of calling all creation to himself. That's what Jesus said. When I am lifted up, I will call everyone to me. And he calls everyone to him through the power of the cross, which is the message of grace. And so we must be a people that bears that fruit. Because through bearing that fruit, the world can change, can know, can believe, can see a life that is worth living. And that is the point, isn't it? That everyone looks at you and says, that is a life worth living. That is a life that is full of love, full of joy. And isn't that the people you want? Aren't those the people you want to be around? When you think about the people that give life to you, aren't aren't they the people who give first, forgive first, Listen first, ask first. Don't they they worry about you first and say, hey, how are you feeling today And, and where are you and how is your family and what are you wrestling with? And they want to give to you. Aren't those the people that light you up? So be those people. Be those people. Because through that, God accomplishes his mission of love. And he gives us something even more beautiful than that. Because the way of love and the way of patience is the way of risk. Everyone knows that. Everyone who has dealt with children is a great example of that. You have this child, you raise this child, and you are just hoping beyond hope that things will turn out. Is that true? (laughs) That's what I'm doing, so I, I think that's true, you know. But we're risking. We're risking with love. We're putting ourselves out there first. And Jesus says, if you make me this cornerstone, If you put your trust in me, it's like building a house that is firm and fixed and sure. It's the the wise man or woman who builds that house, digs it deep, lays that foundation on that rock so that when the floods rise, and they will rise, and when the storms roar, and they will roar, and when the winds beat your house to bits and you think I will not survive this, the rock still stands. And if you are on the rock, so do you. So build your life on this rock. Let's stand as we sing this word of praise to our Lord and God.